Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to help yoga teachers transform their teaching by mastering the fundamentals of anatomy. By learning anatomy in my easy step-by-step way, you'll be able to confidently share it in your cues, easily create sequences, and you'll eagerly answer student questions. And all along the way, you'll increase your impact and earning potential. On the podcast here, you will hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, go ahead and visit barebonesyoga.com, my website, for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all that are there, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. And if you'd like, send me a one-line email with the answer to this question. What's your biggest frustration right now as a yoga teacher? And I'm happy to do some brainstorming with you in a free coaching session. My email address is karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get to today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 177. So I am recording this episode on Friday, April 1st, 2022, and it will go live starting Monday, which is whatever that is, Monday, April, oh gosh, April 4th. And so you'll be listening to it on or after that date. And I just want to you probably know this. I just like to kind of note it for myself as well, that it's the end of the first quarter. Now, maybe you think of quarters as kind of a financial reference. I think of quarters when it comes to personal goals. And I think of the goals that I started out with on New Year's Day and where I'm at in terms of moving those goals forward. So I encourage you to take some time uh, over the next day or so from whenever you're listening to this, and hopefully you're listening to it somewhere in April. So you can really capitalize on the time ahead of you, as I hope to do as well, to continue to grow as a teacher. I did a, um, I did a TikTok video the other day, and I mentioned this aspect of teaching, which I'll mention here today, which is that being a yoga teacher really takes a tremendous amount of inner drive and motivation, because there really isn't anybody that's going to be harping on you and saying, not that you would want that, um, but there really, the point is there really isn't anybody that's going to encourage you forward as a teacher, encourage you to take on new things, encourage you to grow as a teacher, you know, sort of catch you and be kind of your conscience if you're sort of slacking off and whatever that means to you. You know, all of this really comes from you. This is one of the reasons that yoga teachers seek out mentors because that gives them someone to hold them accountable in a positive way. That gives them someone with whom they can bounce off ideas and brainstorm and, and, and set goals and, and touch base on those goals and see you know, their progress towards those goals. 
that's one of the reasons I love my program because I have an ability to do that with the teachers in my program. And certainly when they graduate, to a certain extent, the, the closeness that we have, the frequency with which we, we touch base is lessened. However, I always stay in touch with those teachers and they're always part of my community. So I just encourage you as we close this first quarter to just take stock of what you've accomplished, celebrate those things that you've taken on and set some really tangible goals for the coming months uh, ahead in, in this year. So today I'm gonna to do a solo episode that is based on a lot of questions that came up during the coaching calls I had this week. I had three coaching calls this week with three of the teachers who have enrolled in my program this year. So these are teachers who enrolled in 2022 and they finished the first couple of modules of the online course part of the program. And now they're doing their first coaching call with me or they've completed their first coaching call with me. The way the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint learning program works is that you're using the course part of my program for self-study. And then after you go through a couple of initial modules, we get on the phone and we talk through any questions you have. We do maybe some practice teaching. We break down some cues and we do that throughout your time in my program. So then after that first call, you might, uh, you'll do a couple of other modules in the course part of the program on your own. We'll get together for a second call and that's the structure. So it's much more than just a course. There are other components to the program as well. And this past week, I had the opportunity to talk to three of the teachers who enrolled in either January, February, or March. So some of these questions were just really good and just make for really good conversation here on the podcast, because I bet some of these questions are questions you may have had as well. So I'm just going to go through some of these questions and, and talk a little bit about what we discussed when we were going through them in these calls. So the first question has to do with a particular cue, take your shoulders back and down, take your shoulders back and down. And the way the question was posed to me was, is it potentially harmful for students if they don't do this and they keep hunching forward. So let's sort of, I always, to get to the why behind a cue, I always like to kind of fall back first on the anatomy and really understand what's the anatomy involved. And of course, we're doing this on the podcast, so I can't show you anything. However, I think it's a good opportunity to learn the anatomy and to relearn the anatomy just in the audio learning mode. So if you think about your shoulder joint, it's a ball in a socket. It's the head of the humerus in the cup of the scapula called the glenoid fossa. And then the scapula themselves uh, are part of the shoulder joint. The scapula can elevate, depress, adduct, abduct, upwardly or downwardly rotate. And the shoulder joint can flex or extend, abduct, adduct, uh, flexor extend, externally or internally rotate. So those are the movements that the joint makes and that the scapula make. If you hunch over your desk, for instance, you have what's called a forward shoulder posture. And you'll notice, even if you do it right now, that the head of the humerus presses forward into the front of that glenoid fossa. It doesn't sit neatly and nicely in the cup of the scapula. That's generally where we want 
the joint to be, unless we're intentionally doing something to take it out of that position, because that's where it has the best connection, otherwise known as good joint congruence. So when we take the head of the humerus forward, it begins to press on the soft tissue that surrounds the joint, namely the rotator cuff, the fascia, any associated ligaments or tendons. And over time, if we do that, this can be potentially a problem, potentially could cause maybe some tendonitis, some swelling, some bursitis. In yoga teaching, a place we might see the head of the humerus push forward a lot is when people move from high to low push-up. If they don't take the tops of the shoulders back and down, they might create a little bit of that hunching forward position. And because they're weighted on their hands and because they're close to the ground over time, because we repeat that movement a lot, moving from high to low push-up, it could potentially create some problems. I actually developed biceps tendonitis from that. The biceps tendon runs right in that area. So having said all that, that's some of the anatomy behind shoulders back and down. And that's some of the places where it might show up in a yoga practice. The one thing I would say though is, if we see our students in standing hunching forward, it's definitely helpful to ask them to take the shoulders back and down. And you'll notice if you're sitting right now and you hunch forward and then you lift up to standing and take the scapula down the back, you come to that more kind of uh, stable position, which is commonly called anatomical position, at least in terms of the shoulder positioning. The shoulder joint is nice and congruent. The head of the humerus fits neatly in the cup of the scapula. The scapula are just sort of resting on the back. They're not up or down. They're just kind of right where they should be. So in anatomical position, we see shoulders back and down. If our students are standing in Tadasana and they don't need that cue, it's probably not necessary that we share it. However, if we see people in standing hunching forward, definitely helpful to ask them to take the shoulders back and down. And furthermore, and most importantly, if we see them with their hands pronated, meaning the palms are on the floor, like we see in down dog and plank and low plank, and there we see the head of the humerus pressing forward, it's definitely helpful to ask them to take the shoulders back and down. And just remember the take the shoulders back really speaks to the joint, take the shoulders down really speaks to the position of the scapula. So that's a little bit about shoulders back and down. The next thing that came up in a call was the cue to align the head in between the arms or align the ears with the arms in downward dog. So let's just take a look at what might be the why behind this one. So if you consider anatomical position to be a neutral place where the body's in really good alignment, this is one of the qualities of anatomical position. And this is why understanding the qualities of AP is so important because we can carry some of those qualities into the postures when it fits. So for standing in anatomical position, in terms of your head, your head is centered over your body. And this is a really good, healthy place for the muscles of the neck and shoulders because they don't need to work too hard to align the head with the body. It's right on top and nice and centered. As soon as we come into downward facing dog, now we're fighting gravity. And depending on the effect of gravity on our muscles and our ability to counteract that force, we might do different things. For instance, we might just let our head drop 
or maybe we're a beginning student and we're constantly craning our neck to look forward at the teacher. That would be something that's more intentional versus something that's probably less in the student's awareness in terms of them just dropping and letting their head hang. In either position though, the muscles of the neck are either working to lift the head or working to keep the head up, which can create some strain. So that's some of my why behind that particular cue, which interestingly, I don't ever really say, it's just never really been part of my glossary of cues. I would just say, if you're going to share, align the ears with the arms, just have a why behind what you're sharing. In other words, maybe you're seeing people step away from that alignment. And so you're using the cue to get them back into alignment versus just sharing it just for the heck of it. I think there definitely are postures that we teach where we sort of have, here's this pose, here are the cues I use for this pose. And we probably say those cues a lot, regardless of what's happening in the room. However, I'm sure you would agree that the most meaningful experience for your students, especially if you're teaching a private, even though, although it can apply to group classes as well, is that when cues change depending on what's happening in the room, they're much more meaningful because they're really said with intention to match something that you're seeing as a teacher. So that's a little bit about uh, head aligned with the ears and down dog. The next question that came up had to do with teaching half pigeon. And this is such a huge topic. And there's so many different aspects to teaching half pigeon that constantly come up time and time again in my conversations with students. One of the things that in this conversation was coming up was what's really a good alternative for people who don't want to do half pigeon facing the floor. And this is a really fun and interesting one to discuss because what you probably think is the alternative to half pigeon isn't really the same pose flipped on its back. And I don't know that anybody ever really held it out to be exactly the same. And of course, what I'm talking about is figure four on the back. However, I don't think that many yoga teachers actually realize what the differences are. I mean, I think you could probably look at, look at a person in half pigeon and then look at a person in figure four. And even if you knew nothing about anatomy, even if you just took somebody off the street and said, what are the differences in these two shapes? You know, one shape you're on the back, one shape you're on the belly. One shape, both knees are pulling closer to your body. In the one shape on the floor, the one knee is moving away from your body. In one shape, both knees are bent. In the other shape, one knee is bent, one leg is straight. So, I mean, anybody could really come up with that if you ask them. For us as yoga teachers, though, we're expected to understand the anatomy and what the differences are in, in at least when we're talking about this, these two poses. And the primary difference in half pigeon versus uh, figure four is that in half pigeon, you've got one hip in extension and one hip in flexion. In figure four, you have two hips in flexion and two knees in flexion. And so therefore there's no hip extension. Now, is that a problem? I don't know, maybe. I'm just suggesting that the alternative is not an exact match. Now, let's say you wanted to give people something 
to do on their back that was more in line with what the people were doing who were facing the floor doing traditional half pigeon. Well, what you would wanna do is give them an opportunity on their back to have one hip in extension and one hip in flexion. And what that would really look like is laying on your back and pulling one foot up to press the foot on the inner line of the opposite thigh. So it would essentially be doing tree pose laying on your back. You'd have one hip in flexion and external rotation, the other hip in extension. So that's just something to think about and it gives you an opportunity to do something different. How about that? <laughs> How about doing something different with an intention behind it rather than doing the same old thing that most teachers are teaching and maybe not even being aware of what the ramifications are. If of course you wanna teach them figure four as an alternative, great. Let's take a look though at why that alternative is often offered. In my opinion, I think that alternative is often offered because some students have this concern that having their knee on the floor is somehow problematic. And it probably comes from years and years of teachers saying, if your knee bothers you when you come into half pigeon, certainly go ahead and do it on your back. Rather, in my opinion, rather than giving them alternatives where they can still face the floor and manage whatever is happening with that forward knee, if anything is happening. You know, I sort of think there's this kind of permissiveness when we're teaching that oftentimes comes up where it's just like, hey, do whatever you want. And of course we want our students to have agency over their body. It's just that we don't want them to be attached to these sort of thoughts that they've heard from teachers that really aren't grounded in anything that's anatomically based. And in a healthy person without knee problems, there really shouldn't be any reason why they can't take regular half pigeon. Now, of course, if it's their preference to flip on their back, no big deal. I just wanna give you as a teacher, I wanna give you agency over what you offer so that you don't feel like that's your only alternative and you always have to offer it because you don't. Always remember that if you offer a pose in a particular way and the student doesn't want to do it that way, they're going to change it even if you don't give them an alternative. They're going to probably just do it their own way. And that's totally fine and good. And we want that to happen. So in terms of coming into regular half pigeon, just keep in mind that the primary movement is coming from the hip. The knee that's going to come forward has to have the driving force be that hip moving into external rotation because the knee that's bending is below that hip that is opening. And once that hip starts to open up, the knee is gonna follow, the knee's gonna follow along, but the primary joint that's built for opening is the hip. It's not the knee. The knee is a hinge pivot joint. It does allow for a little bit of movement of the shin left to right, but the primary actor in opening up is coming from the ball and socket joint, which is above the knee, which is the hip. So as you take your students into half pigeon, one fun thing to do is to have them lift the leg, bend the knee and move the knee around a couple of times. Notice how that facilitates the rotation of the head of the femur in the um, acetabulum of the hip. And then as they bring that knee down to the ground, encourage them to keep their focus on the hip and keep opening the hip from the hip and not be so attached to moving the shin up. In most cases, they're not going to be able to get the shin up, but who cares? That whole idea of aligning the shin with the top of the mat, I really feel like that's giving students a goal that many of them won't reach. And in fact, will encourage them to try to get into the posture from knee flexibility rather than hip flexibility. This particular one is a really 
bigger discussion and is much better to have uh, you know, kind of live with the skeleton. So if you are confused about this or want to talk about it further, just go to my website right on the homepage. You'll see an option to book a call with me. We'll do a quick Zoom call. I'll pull out Mr. Bones and um, we'll go through it with the skeleton. So that's uh, the, the next thing. So the fourth thing that came up with uh, a teacher in one of my coaching calls was working with a student who says they have a weak ankle. So when I teach anatomy um, in my program, I don't get into every single bone of the foot, every single muscle in the foot. I sort of stay with the global muscles of movement. However, keep in mind, you know, obviously there are bones and muscles in the foot. And, and I talk to a certain extent about those. The, the thing though, I think that's helpful to keep in mind as a yoga teacher is as we take somebody through a practice, they're going to get great opportunities to strengthen their feet, to strengthen their ankles, simply by virtue of doing the practice. They're doing it in bare feet and yoga practice and martial arts are probably the only quote unquote sport or exercise or type of activity where people are in bare feet. So that one aspect alone is a great opportunity for them to strengthen the muscles of the feet, to lengthen the fascia. Of course, we have the plantar fascia at the bottom of the foot. So you can rest assured and tell your student that doing yoga and that alone is going to really help you with your weak ankle. The other thing to keep in mind, and this is again, sort of obvious, uh, is any balancing pose where they're standing on that affected ankle is going to be helpful. If they can tolerate it, great. If they can't have them put their other hand on a chair or put their other hand against a wall, these opportunities to do balancing poses and really as a teacher, if you can cue them into really grounding down into that standing leg and spreading through the toes, all of these awareness exercises and cues are a great way to really wake up a lot of those muscles that might be weak. Keep in mind, you've got the tibialis anterior on the front, you've got the gastrocnemius on the back, uh, the tibialis anterior is your dorsiflexion muscle, your gastrocnemius is your plantar flexion muscle, pointing the toes. So taking students through up dog, down dog, that's great because plantar dorsiflexion, even having them in a wide straddle, having them lift up onto their tippy toes and then drop down onto their heels. These are just different ways that you can integrate exercises or movements that are specific to ankle mobility and ankle strength. So that's a little piece about that. Um, the next thing that came up was a student saying to the teacher I was working with on the call that they have trouble coming into half moon. So this brings up an idea to really take a posture that has a lot of parts to it and really regress it and teach it in the earlier part of the sequence in a way that sort of, <coughs> excuse me, sort of chunks it out. So for half moon, you've got the back leg kicking back, coming into extension and external rotation. So a good thing to start with is if you're going to teach half moon in your class to start people in a forward fold where they have their hands on blocks and they're just kicking one leg back and opening the hip, putting that foot on the floor. 
kicking the other leg back, opening the hip, putting that foot on the floor and repeating that a couple of times and letting them know that that's going to be an action that they're going to do because you're going to offer them half moon at some point in the practice. And then when you take them into that first half moon, do it in isolation. Maybe they're standing and you have them forward fold and you have them put a block in front of the foot. The right, let's say it's in front of the right foot. You put the right hand on the block align the block under the shoulder, and then you put the left hand on a block because now you've got both hands on blocks. So the person's slightly lifted away from the floor. Then they take the left leg back. Then they open the left hip. Then they start to lift the left hand off the ground and open into the full posture. So you've essentially chunked it out. You've sort of diluted it. You've regressed it to teach it in parts. And then it takes them into the posture in a much more supported way. Maybe some of you are already doing this, so that's great. If you are out there and you're just sort of taking people into half moon without some preliminary steps, try this and see if it helps. You can also progress it by including half moon in between different kind of warrior, reverse warrior type uh, salutations. And that's a way to sort of make it a little more challenging. So that's a little bit about half moon. Uh, two more. How much of each muscle should I know? So this is always an interesting question because, you know, in my program, I have uh, uh, several videos that break down the muscles, the primary muscles of the body. And then in the anatomy manual that the teachers get from me, it has a whole description for each muscle, origin, insertion, and, and action. And so this gets into a lot of nitty gritty information. And of course, it's really easy to quickly get overwhelmed. So let's break out, there's learning muscles in the studying, and then there's bringing that learning to your teaching and having it be kind of front of mind, top of mind, tip of your tongue. So there's always gonna be that step at the beginning where you're learning the muscles and you're learning the origins and the insertions and the concentric actions, and you are sort of diving into the details. It's natural to do this and feel a little bit overwhelmed. This is why it's helpful to take this particular part of your learning and chunk it out over several sessions where you're sitting and doing, doing the learning. Then though, for yoga teachers in particular, it's really important that they be able to step back from all of that minutia and be able to simply look at a person moving and point out what muscles are doing what. So for the teachers in my program, in the, in the module on muscles, I actually have a video where I just stand in front of the skeleton and I literally point out where the muscles are. So this is pec minor, pec, uh, pec major, pec minor's underneath, this is glute medius, glute minimus is underneath, its responsibility is, its job is to abduct the hip. You know, this is where the serratus anterior is. It runs from the ribs to the medial border of the scapula. It's a shoulder stabilizer. It also slightly upwardly rotates the scapula. It's, it's used in postures like plank and dolphin. So just things like that, where you're literally looking at the skeleton and you're just like, bam, bam, bam. You're just going through the information. That's the goal that I have for yoga teachers that I work with, because that's the context in which you're going to be using information about muscles. It's really helpful. I mean, it's more than helpful. It's critical that yoga teachers be able to watch people moving on the mat and clearly be able to identify what muscles are working to create what joint actions. It should not be that it's all just yoga speak. 
It should be that your experience as a teacher is you're looking people, looking at people moving on the mat and you know what muscles are creating those actions because that's the source from which your cues are going to come if you want to teach confidently. Now, if you just want to say stuff, that's different. It just, it's just that that's not a way that's going to get you to transforming as a teacher. That's going to hold you in one place where you're repeating cues over and over. So this ability to kind of look at a body, see it moving on the mat, be able to recognize the muscles that are doing that is not only just a source of your cues, it's a source of your confidence. So that would be something to work towards. Now, getting there on your own is really, really hard. I'm just gonna be straight up with you. That's why in my program, it is absolutely a key part of what I work on with teachers. If you're doing it on your own, keep in mind, that's a goal to shoot for. If you need help, you can just reach out to me. I'm happy to uh, just book a call with you and just have a quick conversation, give you some guidelines, and then tell you uh, if you want more help, I would definitely want you to enroll in my program. So that's a little bit about muscles. Um, the last thing is uh, working with using peak poses in your sequences. So there's lots of different ways to build a sequence. I've done uh, several different workshops on this. I'm not one that really teaches people to work to a peak pose. I think it's totally an option though, if you want to do it. I don't have anything like wrong, think that's anything, there's anything wrong with it. Um, it's something that you can use. I think this whole idea of breaking things down becomes really relevant if you're going to work people to a peak pose. Because if you're working people to a peak pose, one of the best ways to get them there, both physically and mentally, is to take that peak posture, break it down into its joint movements, and give them other opportunities leading up to the peak pose where they're doing those joint movements, where they're using those muscles they're going to need to use in that peak pose. You can see this relates exactly to the prior conversation we just had about learning about muscles and, and what you want to get to in terms of your knowledge around muscles. So if you're building to a peak pose, make sure that along the way in your sequence, before they get there, you're having them do related actions. So if your peak posture is wheel, wheel as its primary action of the joint has a tremendous amount of spinal extension. Spinal extension is the responsibility of the erector spinae muscle group. So you're gonna want to cue your students around anything that has spinal extension. Of course, they're doing up dog. You might be doing dancers. You might do lunges where you include a lot of back bends. You're definitely going to be cueing them to the action of those muscles when they're in the back bend, helping them see the connections, what's a common thread throughout your sequencing. So that by the time you get to teaching them wheel, their bodies have been primed, their mind has been primed, they've learned about the muscles creating that action, and they're better poised to do the pose. So that's a little bit about peak poses. So just to recap, we covered head aligned with, I'm sorry, we covered shoulders back and down, head aligned with ears and down dog, teaching half pigeon, working with a student with a weak ankle, trouble doing half moon, how much of each muscle should I know, and working with building a sequence to a peak pose. So I hope you found this helpful. Again, these are hot off the press questions that I got this week in coaching calls I had. 
And I'm always, you know, a big fan of sharing this because I'm sure that some of these questions are questions that you've had as well. So in closing, I just want to give you three um, sort of action steps you can take if you're interested. Number one, on the events page of my website, I have a brand new recorded webinar. And this is something that's always going to be there. You can always take a look at it whenever you want. It will change in terms of the topic. Right now, it's on the general topic of transforming your teaching. It's only 20 minutes long. So if you want to take a look at that, you'll learn a little bit about anatomy and its importance to yoga teaching. And you'll learn a little bit about this approach to really mastering anatomy to transform your teaching. That's right on the events page of my website, barebonesyoga.com. The other thing I would say is come to class. I am absolutely loving, I'm now heading into, let's see, December, January, February, March. Oh my goodness, I'm heading into my fifth month of consecutive teaching virtually two to three to four times a week, really more four times a week. So come to class. I'm seeing regular faces in there. I'm seeing people from all over the world. I'm seeing teachers. I'm seeing students. I know that you've probably heard me mention my mom is coming to class. So it's just, it's free 30 minute classes. What could be easier? So come to class, keep an eye on the schedule. I always post it on my website, uh, virtual classes page. And then the last thing I've mentioned this a couple times in this episode um, on my website, when you go to the website, right on the homepage, you're going to see an option to book a call with me. This is a new option I've included. I even have a Calendly link so you can go directly to booking software. And it's something I wanted to do to really encourage you as a teacher to not feel stuck, to not feel isolated, to not feel alone, to know that I am here as a resource to help you think through a problem, answer some questions about the body, answer some questions about teaching, of course, within the scope of what I know, within the scope of my experience, and also to just be a sounding board. So I think there's not enough of that out there. And you know, if you think that you know, there's any kind of pressure to enroll in my program, that is absolutely not the case. These calls are free. These are just ways for me to hear from yoga teachers, to understand what obstacles they have, to help them if I can help them, and to do what I love, which is to talk to yoga teachers. So I guess in a way, it's a little bit self-serving. However, I, I know from the calls I've had, the teachers have just really felt that they have been valuable to them. So you can always do that. Just go to my website right on the homepage, book a call with me. I'd love to talk. So that is it for this episode. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope you have a wonderful week and I can't wait to talk to you again on the next Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Leave your comments on my social media, send me a DM. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Have a great week, namaste. Hi everybody, thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I wanna let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October, 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course, 
which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each, and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27, so the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next steps section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future. To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.